Hello, women of strength. We have an amazing episode for you today, but first I want to talk just a little bit about postpartum depression. Studies show that one in seven new mamas will develop postpartum depression. It's scary in a topic that doesn't really get discussed about a lot. So before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to share a little bit about our podcast sponsor and partner, Happiest Baby. As you guys know from listening to the VBAC link, this podcast means so much to me. I love every single one of you. I know that's hard to believe because I don't personally know every single one of you, but it is true. I love this community so much. And it means so much to me that Dr. Harvey Karp and his company, Happiest Baby, are such big supporters of VBAC and are supporting our mission. One of their biggest products that people may know or have heard of is called the Snoo. The Snoo is an amazing baby bed that can truly help many mamas out there during their postpartum journey, especially if you were like me and have a husband or a partner that has to go right back to work and are left with these amazing, cute, snuggly babies, but also exhausted. Whether you've had a C-section or a vaginal birth for those few days, and let's be honest, probably months, you're just exhausted. I was in pure survival mode. So many people refer to this new as the mama helper, who's there to help soothe your baby so you can just get a few more hours of sleep. They even have a rental program, which I think is pretty awesome, so you don't actually have to buy the bassinet. As I started learning more about Dr. Carp and his mission, I just love learning that he is so passionate about reducing postpartum depression in parents. They even got FDA approval, which I believe is the only bassinet or baby bed that has been FDA approved. It's also been known for reducing SIDS in babies as well. I asked our community for their reviews of Snoo and I was overwhelmed by the positive responses. I just wanted to say thank you to Dr. Carp for creating the Snoo and helping millions of mamas sleep for just a few more hours at night so we can continue bonding with our babies and having a better postpartum experience. Thank you, happiest baby. You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast, and this is your host, Megan. I am always honored to be on this podcast with you. I love the listeners. I love the storytellers. I love the reviewers. We just love everything about this community, and I am excited to bring with you for you today a VBAC. I'm not even going to be bringing it, actually. Our friend Brittany is going to be bringing it, but we are having a VBAC after two cesarean story. You guys, this is one of the most requested podcasts is VBAC after multiple cesarean, specifically two. We know how hard it is to find providers to support VBAC after multiple cesarean, even though ACOG themselves say VBAC after two cesarean is totally, totally, (laughs) totally acceptable and reasonable to go for. And it's it's really hard and it's frustrating. I know as a VBAC um, to C-section mom myself that it's, it's, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating, right, Brittany? Like to, to feel total defeat over and over and over again, being told you cannot, you should not, being filled with horror stories. I mean, all the things, it's so frustrating. And this is why we are here. We are sharing these stories. We are letting you know you can. It is possible. It might not be easy along the way. And you're going to hear today in Brittany's story, it's not, it's not easy. 
but it is possible. So um, we have our friend Brittany, like I mentioned, she is from Southern Minnesota and she has been through quite the journey, which she is going to share with you, but a little bit of a highlight of her episode, if you are kind of wanting to know what some takeaways will be for this episode is um, one, finding that supportive provider, just like we were talking about. It's so important. It's so key, but we know it can be challenging being rejected multiple times, right? And being told no, and then not finding a supportive provider until the very end of pregnancy. You guys, this is one thing I want you to know. If you are not feeling like you are being supported, if you are feeling or seeing the red flags, if something in your gut does not feel right, you are not stuck. You do not have to stay with any provider because they saw you for 34 weeks, 28 weeks, 40 weeks, 41 weeks, even 42 weeks. You guys, you are not stuck. You can change. It's not always easy. And we understand that but you always have options to change. You can fire a provider in the very moment. We don't necessarily encourage you to fire your providers. I don't want to make that sound like fire your provider, but you can. If it's not it's not, not feeling right, it's not a good mix, you can say, I would like to request a new provider at this time. Or you can start finding it through so many amazing resources like right here at the VBAC link. Women of Strength, if you are looking for a provider, write us. Go join our VBAC link community. We have a whole list of providers on there that have been known as as supportive. And I can't tell you, I'm just here in Utah. I've not met all of these providers. I've not talked to them. I've not interviewed them. These are providers that are being suggested by our other women of strength who have truly gone through this experience and believe them to be VBAC supportive. So their names are being compiled on this list for you all over the world, not just here in the US, for you to help, you know, guide, I guess, for guidance for you to help find a supportive provider. So go to the VBAC link community on Facebook, answer the questions and go check it out. And if you are listening today to this episode, please PM us at Instagram or Facebook or info at the VBAC link. Tell us who your supportive providers are. If they're not on that list, we want to get them on. If you're a supportive provider listening, we want your name on this list. It is so important. And we as VBAC moms ourselves, and Brittany, I'm sure you'll attest to this. It's so important to have that provider on your side. It's so important. Okay. I will jump off my soapbox and we will get into a review of the week. So cute Brittany can share her stories. This is actually on our How to VBAC, the ultimate prep course for parents. Parents, if you didn't know, we actually have a VBAC prep course for you. It's filled with information on history of cesarean, history of VBAC, the pros, the cons, how to VBAC, how to find these supportive providers, right? We provide you a lot with a lot of like printables and things to take along your journey so you can make sure that you've got the perfect team and that you feel confident in the birthing choice that you are choosing. This says, this course was so helpful, especially with helping to educate my husband on the safety of VBACs. As he had previously been nervous about my choice, we watched all the videos already, but we'll also be reviewing the workbook again before birth. Highly recommended. Thank you, Heather, for sharing that review. Yes, just like she said, this course is, it's it's amazing. We have reading material and then we have a workbook that you can follow along. You can either download it or you can purchase a workbook 
to go along. And we encourage your birthing partners to take this course with you because it is important for them to know this information. So check it out at thefeedbacklink.com if you haven't already. And yeah, we'll see you on the other side. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Hello, women of strength. This is Megan. I am so happy you're listening to the podcast. When I was preparing for my vaginal birth after two cesareans, it was hard to find the evidence-based information in one spot and it could leave me feeling lonely or even confused. This is why Julie and I created the VBAC Link podcast. And did you know we also send out emails with helpful tips and advice on how to achieve your VBAC? All easily digestible in one email form. Just head over to the VBAClink.com. That is T-H-E-V-B-A-C-L-I-N-K.com. And sign up to start receiving your VBAC tips and info today. Okay, Brittany. Yes. Thank you so much for taking the time today to share these stories. Like I said, we get emails and messages on Instagram and Facebook and our inbox saying, please share more VBAC after multiple cesarean stories because there are so many times where we go in and we have an unplanned cesarean. And then sometimes we maybe get coerced or we feel that it's best to choose another one. But then we start learning more and we want a different experience and we know how hard that is. So I welcome you and let's turn the time over to you. Absolutely. I am honored to be here. Um, I'm very excited to share my story. Um, I now am a mama to three babies. Um, So I'm going to share a little bit about my C-sections before I move on to um, my vaginal birth. So I found out I was pregnant with my first son in 2016. I'm sorry, I had him in 2016. Um, I was actually newly sober. I'm a person in recovery. So I was very new to a lot of things in life. Um, I was going to be a single mom and I also uh, was sober. So a lot of big changes changes. at that time. I was very uneducated about birth, being a new mom, everything at that time. I, I was going through so much at the time, obviously. And then I was nine days overdue which we know truly isn't overdue, but you know, that's what they say. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point, like I just wanted to have him. Um, I was not educated about interventions or anything like that. So I just kind of went with the punches, whatever the providers and team wanted. That's what I did. I also knew as much as possible. I didn't want as many pain meds as possible just because of my, you know, recovery from substances And um, I really liked narcotics, so I knew that I didn't want to go down that slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Um, I allowed them to induce me with two doses of Cytotec. It started working, but then they wanted to break my water, and I allowed them because I truly didn't know better or have any Mm -hmm. information on that. I got an epidural super early, even though I think I more panicked more than anything. Like I didn't want to have pain, and so I just got it, not knowing that 
I was going to have a very long labor and being stuck in a bed was not going to do me any favors. After laying in the bed, basically for 24 hours, I pushed for two hours. He was not descending. At that point, I was truly like done. I was exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been up for like two days being induced. And so we decided on the C-section. He was sunny side up. And so that's what kind of made it more difficult for him to come down, which made sense. And so he was here. Recovery was rough. I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Fast forward some time in 2017, I went into the ER and uh, they couldn't really figure out what was going on with me. I really wasn't feeling well. Long story short, I actually um, had an ectopic pregnancy Mm -hmm. and I was on the IUD at the time. So I had no idea I was even pregnant. Um, It was very traumatic. So I went from not knowing I was pregnant and then, you know, they had to take the baby out and I actually lost one of my tubes at the Mm -hmm. same time, had to have a life-saving emergency surgery. I was in the hospital for five days and they had to, they couldn't do it laparoscopically. They did have to cut me all the way over, everything taken out. So that was very traumatic and a very big loss. Yeah. Um, And then I met the man that I eventually married in 2018. We uh, experienced an early miscarriage in 2018 as well. So another loss. In 2019, we found at late 2018, going into 2019, we found out we were pregnant with our rainbow baby. At that point, I was very unsure of what I wanted for my birth. Um, I knew how terrible my C-section experience was, um, but I was also I was also terrified of laboring for that long and then ending up mm-hmm. with another C-section again. Yeah. Um, I trusted my doctors. I was listening to them. Of course, they did the BBAC calculator. And at that time, they told me like 50-50 chance. Um, being that, oh. he, that he never descended, He's let, they said, you know, it's kind of up to you. What do you want to do? And I had lost two babies. So I just yeah. wanted a baby here safe. And so I was like, you know what? 50-50, let's just go with the C-section. And I was hoping that not having that long labor beforehand would really help with my recovery, not having yeah. to go. And so I just wanted my baby here safe too. You know, with a rainbow baby, I just wanted my baby. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, my C-section, the surgery itself went fine with my second son, but it was an even worse recovery. I had a severe reaction from the adhesive tape that they use like on my belly. I broke out completely all over my whole body. Um, oh, man. Preferred pain. And I are, I have high blood pressure. So like it was very scary to have shoulder pain. Very scary uh, because I instantly thought heart problems. Um, it was just referred pain from the C-section. Yeah, um, it's usually air, actually. Crazy. Enough. Like air gets trapped up. I had that too. And I was like, what is happening? Is this my milk? And they yeah. were like, no, it's air. And so getting up and walking mm-hmm. can really help. But it can sometimes get trapped up in that shoulder or even rib area. Yeah. So strange. Yeah. Um, and then I was so sick and throwing up for like 36 hours from whatever. Oh, with a new incision. Yeah. It was oh. absolutely awful. Um, and then I was dehydrated, blacking out from that, you know, just an absolute awful mess. Basically, immediately after he was born, I began researching vaginal birth after two C-sections because I knew I never wanted to do that again. And I knew we were not done having babies. Um, I I binged every single episode that you guys have. I couldn't listen to them fast enough because I knew I wanted (laughs) all the information before we had another baby. Um, Even before we were trying, I was doing all of this. I read many books, watched YouTube videos. I was practicing meditations and mindfulness because, you know, the mindset is such a big part. Um, I learned about hypnobirthing and I was also so much healthier. 
I gained way less weight. I was eating healthier. I was being active, trying to keep as mobile as possible, you know, to let the baby descend when that time came. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I mentioned, I do have chronic hypertension. um, So I really wanted to keep that in check because I knew that that would be a big red flag for everyone. So then eventually we did get pregnant with our baby, our third baby. So I was, you know, still doing all of my research and things like that. At that time, I actually did hire a doula as well. I wanted to do everything I could possibly. She was very supportive of uh, VBAC after two C-sections. So then we start the hunt of trying to advocate for myself. I, I really worked on relaxing myself, you know, just to get in that positive, you know, mindset. And so at 32 weeks, so initially where I was at, where I gave birth to my first son, they now do some VBACs, but they will not absolutely, they won't look at people who have more than one C-section. And then it's case by case, you know, for just a single. But they they were like, no, you either have to have a C-section or go to our high-risk unit. Well, I was, and, I, and I said, okay, send me to the high-risk unit. You know, like that's what I want. At 32 weeks, they, they saw me at the high-risk and complex unit. This was, you know, basically to see, they would assess me, see if they believed I had a fighting chance, basically. With my blood, my blood pressure at the time was in a great range and I was actually off medication because I was like so healthy, just doing what I needed to do. Yeah, it was great. I advocated for myself with them, you know, saying, hey, I hired a doula, you know, I have a supportive husband, I've done all this research, like I know what research truly says, you know, and of course they pulled out the calculator. Um, oh boy. <laughs> it kind of depended. Um, sometimes it put me at like 20%. Sometimes it put me at like 40%, depending on who did it because of the blood pressure and because of the two repeat C-sections with no um, vaginal birth before that. Mm-hmm. They, they said they would work with me. That's their exact wording. Um, yet they wanted me to have a C-section no later than 38 weeks. Knowing No that, later than 38 weeks? Yeah, yep. And um, me, knowing that my first son came at 41 and a half weeks, I knew that that was probably not likely. Yeah. Um, And I was also in the mindset that if I went to 42 weeks, I was okay with it because I knew that as long as they continue to monitor things, it's okay. And then if I didn't go into spontaneous labor by myself, so say my blood pressure spiked or anything like that, they would not do anything to help induce me. No low Pitocin, nothing like that. No breaking of water, nothing. I would have to do it all on my own. So I knew that was a huge barrier too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're putting, they're putting restrictions on you already. So yep. that's something to uh, listeners. Like if you're getting, they're like, yeah, okay. But then they're like restriction, 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 restriction. It's probably not the right space. Yeah, exactly. And those were my first thoughts, you know, like if I'm already knowing that all of these restrictions are being put up, I'm going to hold in more tension even when I come here and I'm just mm-hmm. going to be waiting for some kind of failure in the process for them to say, okay, we need a C-section. Yeah. So I truly wasn't even getting a chance to try. I literally left the office bawling with my husband. And of course, I mean, my husband is not as educated as I am because he's not going to be giving birth. He's very supportive and educated, just not to our level. Mm-hmm. Um, but they kind of like fear mongered, you know, like they mm-hmm. made us mm-hmm. not me because I knew, you know, the statistics and things, but he was more worried, you know, like, are you sure this is safe? You know, things like that. Yeah. And I, I was feeling so discouraged. I mean, I was 32 weeks pregnant and I was like, what am I going to do? Cause I know this isn't going to work. Um, yeah. I actually have a very good friend who had her first baby by C-section and then she had two V-backs after that. She, she was like one of my biggest, like 
you know, she rooted for me yeah. so hard. She was your motivators and yes. in, your, in your space. Yeah. Yes. And she had to be induced at 37 weeks with her babies due to being high risk with medical complications. And she still did it. So like, she just really gave me hope. We began researching together and she literally lives in a different state and she was researching with me. And that's amazing. It is so amazing. Like that's, what's great about this community. Um, we found a provider that actually is two and a half hours away from where I live. I knew it was crazy, but I was like, you know what, what does it hurt for me to go even see this guy once? You know, Listen, that's not crazy. No, it's not. It's not crazy. I know it sounds crazy. And like the world that we live in makes it feel crazy to go so far. It's not crazy. It's not crazy. It's not just, crazy. it's just, it's just you advocating for yourself and finding what you need for yourself. Yes. And I became group, uh, you know, on Facebook groups with like you guys and other VBAC specific mm-hmm. to our area and things like that. And I just read testimony after testimony about how amazing and old school he is. I called and I mean, even at this point, I was okay if insurance didn't cover things. Like I just wanted this. And he he's a different breed. He's a lone wolf, you know, one of those very rare people we find. And when I, I made an appointment, I believe it was for about 34 weeks. So it was still a couple of weeks away. When that appointment came, I actually um, had influenza. So I had to cancel it. And I was like, oh my gosh, everything that could work against me is working against yeah. me. I said, nope, his next appointment, I'll go. I went and he like, he had my medical records, but he barely looked at me and he was like, yep, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. Like so positive. Oh, wow. Not like we're going to try. He was like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Yep. So that was great. I continued to go to his appointments like weekly until post baby's due date. He was, but also he was not naive. He told me risks of both, you know, very um, realistically, but not like in a scary way, just like this is what it looked like. These are the facts. Yeah. Yep. The clinic he has is just a small time homey, homey feel. Like it's about the patient truly, you know, it's not like we're just another number. And truly at the end of the day, like he gave me the empowerment that like, Hey, you're going to, not only are you going to do this, but he's going to allow me to try, you know? And that's all I wanted was to be able to try this, you know, to have opened myself. Yeah. So at 38 weeks, we discovered my blood pressure had skyrocketed the next day it continued to be. And so they monitored me for a little while and I'm also, you know, two and a half hours away. So they kept me for a little longer. The next day it had continued to be. And being that I was in the safe zone, the doctor said, you know, would you be okay if we did a, you know, a slow, you know, induction. And at that point, you know, I, I trusted him, even though like, I truly barely knew him. Like he gave such, you know, good vibes. My husband loved him. Um, And I said, absolutely. I was completely closed. So like, no, it did not seem like any baby was coming anytime soon, you know, from looking at it. At 7 p.m. that night, they inserted the Foley bulb to help me dilate. Uh, at 8 p.m., my body actually took over a bit and had some major contractions. Uh, my job for the night was to rest, let the bulb do its work, and just kind of mentally get in the mindset that we were going to be in labor the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of the night, my COVID swab came back positive, even though I had no symptoms. No, and you had just that- gotten over influenza. Yeah. Yes. And so... That was, that was very interesting. My doula, this was like the one weekend that she was unavailable, of course. So she had her sub doula um, available, but she couldn't come in because of COVID. So she was only available by oh. phone, which was a bummer, but we, yeah. we made it through. So 
12 hours in the next morning at 7 a.m., the Foley bulb was removed and I was four centimeters. So that was great because with my first son, I had already gotten the epidural and I was panicking at that time. So I was already in a great mindset. I was managing the discomfort so great. Uh, He started the Pitocin super slow and low. That's kind of what he's known for, starting at super low and slow, like the smallest amount possible. Yeah. The baby's heart rate had some D cells, so they turned the Pitocin off for a while. No panicking. Just, you know, we're going to go with the flow. At 10 a.m., they broke my water. Uh, We just kind of hung out. I was feeling good. My contractions picked up on their own without that Pitocin ever being restarted. Uh, my body began doing doing it, you know, with that very little bit of interventions. At about 1.30, I began struggling pretty bad with um, pain and pressure. I stated I wanted an epidural and everyone knew that I didn't want that. So I said I would wait another 15 minutes, you know, give it a minute, yeah. see if I wanted it. I still wanted it 15 minutes later. And I knew in my mind that I was holding so much tension in and I just, I couldn't let it go. So I was like, you know what, at this point, let's do the epidural. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we did it. As soon as the anesthesiologist came in, I knew I made the right choice. I was already feeling that, you know, relief that I was going to feel from just letting my body relax. And I knew how important the mindset was that I needed to let my body do it. Baby's heart again had a few D cells, but the team worked great to reposition me after that epidural was in. I could still feel the pressure of the contractions. I could tell we were progressing, but at 2.45, I had progressed far enough to be able to push. So I progressed very quickly, you know, from being completely closed to here very quickly within 24, less than 24 hours. Yes. The team was so supportive. I I could feel the baby moving down still, you know, that pressure. I was ecstatic. Once we got to the pushing phase, I was very nervous because that's how far I got with Benny, um, my oldest. And I had pushed for two hours with him. He never moved down. So I was very scared that that's what was going to happen. First push, I knew it was different. I could feel him moving. I could feel the baby moving down. And at 3.44 p.m., we were gender neutral beforehand. And at 3.44, our sweet baby girl was delivered vaginally. Uh, yes, it was It was quite amazing to feel my baby on my chest. After, I mean, it's still shocking now. And feeling yeah. my chest. And then my husband look and he's, he's crying and he's like, it's a girl. And uh, so after our two boys, it was just like the icing on the cake. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah. And different postpartum experience? Absolutely. So my provider had known how, you know, traumatic my C-sections were. And then of course, with my ectopic completely being cut open during that too, it was, it was totally different, like stunning. Even with the epidural, like I, I barely had the epidural. So it's not like it was running for a very long time. I was never able to eat right away after birth. I I pretty much ate almost all labor until, you know, Mm. until the epidural and then to be able to eat as soon as I wanted to right after without throwing up. That alone was huge. I could walk, you know, practically um, no crazy abdominal pain because of the C-section. I could help the baby right away, whereas I was stuck in bed for so long after the C-section. The doctor looked at me and he's like, how is this? And I'm like... (laughs) indescribable do you even need to ask yeah, yeah. It's like, so it's, amazing. it's insane how different c-section versus your vaginal delivery was like I was ready to do it again but yeah my, my husband was like okay we're done having babies because we got our girl and I was like I'm ready to do it again no yes oh I was the same way I was like no I want to do this again this is amazing like I got the birth I wanted it was oh there's there is something special and I you know I want to also point out you know sometimes vaginal births can be traumatic too, but there is something about 
that baby being placed on your chest after you've gone through some less ideal or traumatic experiences. And then, yeah, it's hard because you you compare and you're like, oh, this is like a breeze. <laughs> like, you're still hard. Recovery is still mm-hmm. hard, but oh, it's just magical. And oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love that you, I love that you like, you know, ended a pregnancy. You're like, no, like we're going to do something differently. Oh, yes. Um. So, I mean, it ended up being an induction. And so it was kind of like, hey, come like drive and come and it's planned. But I would love to know, or I guess I'd love for you to share if you have, if you can, any of your plans for the listeners, assuming that it wasn't like, what was your plan? Assuming it was going spontaneous. Um, Cause I think a lot of people get, uh, it's a daunting feeling. They get nervous about like, when do I go? What do I do? Uh, it's a long drive. And, you know, do you have any tips or suggestions on what your plan was to travel that distance, assuming spontaneous labor went into play? Absolutely. We totally thought about that. Um, that was kind of one of my husband's biggest worries because obviously he would be driving me if it was right. we knew, first of all, obviously every labor can be different, but my sons, my sons took forever, but he was also induced. So we we were hoping for that. But then also we we knew we had great backup for the other um kids for daycare. So at a moment's notice, we had great people to be able to drop them off at. We we had talked to the provider too. Basically, once my labor got at all, you know, semi-regular, if it had happened at home, whether that was, if my water broke, I was going to head right in because, you know, we knew we'd be having a baby. And we also knew with two C-sections that we wanted to be, you know, near medical attention just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we knew, you know, even if my contractions started coming semi-regularly that we would likely head in, but we also... I was ready to like labor hard in the car if that's what it had to be. But also mm-hmm. we knew that like, say all of a sudden I got pushy, like that's how fast it was progressing. Like we were okay going to our hospital closer just because then, you know, I'm in the thick of it. We don't want anything to happen to anybody, but we, we knew that it could possibly, you know, be a barrier having to mm-hmm. drive all the way two and a half hours to this hospital. Yeah. Yeah. That is a really good point. Like preparing to labor hard in the car Laboring in the car is no joke for sure. And preparing you mentally, you know, obviously that's not what happened, but preparing yourself mentally is so beneficial because if that does happen, it can take out some trauma because it could be traumatic in the car if you're not prepared for that and labor's progressing. And then of course, having that plan of like, okay, if things shift and I'm pushing a baby out, we'll go to this local hospital, you know, the nearest hospital. And then also... I would say, suggest, you know, what you're saying, like, oh, if things were getting actively, we'd go. But you could also, uh, when you get there, you don't have to go straight in, but just being the, the, you know, like grab a hotel or go to a park and walk around or just be close by. And so just preparing for that financially as well, right? To, if you're getting a hotel or something like that, preparing for that is something that's important as well. Because yeah, you, you don't, you don't want to have anything crazy happen, but also educating yourself on the signs of something going wrong. So if you know, and that's happening in the car and you still have 45 minutes, you can just go to the nearest hospital, right? right? Next exit or whatever. Yeah. Great tips. And I love, I, I seriously love that. Prepare to labor hard, prepare to labor hard in that car because it can happen. But 
congratulations to you and so proud of you, you know, on all your journeys. And it's hard because we've had these cesareans, undesired, sometimes traumatic or sometimes desired, right? With mm-hmm. un you know, unidentified outcomes like that you would have you wouldn't have thought that it would have been like that. But it's it's these stories that make us who we are today. It's these stories that are changing others' lives mm-hmm. and and empowering them. And so, you know, whatever your takeaway is from today, maybe it is, you know, recognizing a supportive versus non-supportive provider. Maybe it is figuring out what you need to do for yourself. Maybe it's traveling, whatever it may be, right? Or um, maybe it's scheduling that that repeat cesarean, whatever that may be. Know that it is it is it's your birth. It's your birth. This is your body. This is your baby. This is your future. Whatever decision you make that is best for you, uh, we here at the VBAC Link support, but do have all of these uh, resources for you to turn to and learn so you can know what your options really are. Yes. Information, I think, is key. That's one of the biggest things I took away is I am all for people you know, making whatever decision they want in regard to anything, including birth but I just want people to have the information, the correct information to be able to make those, those informed decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, one other quick thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, you went in for a VBAC after two cesareans with no progress, right? Like there wasn't any progress being made, meaning your body was not showing signs at that moment of labor beginning or progressing. And they started with a Foley bulb or a cook catheter, depending on where you're at and what your hospital uses. And that can be something that a lot of providers will refuse to use if you're not dilated to a one. Now, I want to preface this, and you'll have to tell us, actually. It can be very uncomfortable getting a Foley in with no dilation, right? Because they're putting a tiny little tube in something that is closed. And so that is definitely a little bit of a disclaimer there. It can be very uncomfortable, but just like Brittany and we've had, I want to say it was Shannon. Oh, I could be totally wrong. Because if you back after three cesarean birth, I want to say she, she ended up doing a little bit of pit to try and get her cervix to do something and then got a Foley and like barely opened if I remember right. And so it just goes, it's possible, right? Like it is possible. And so they may say it's not possible. And I will say it's not common for them to do it, but it is possible Mm -hmm. and you can request it. Yes. Prepare yourself mentally because, you know, I don't know, Brittany, if you want to describe it at all, but it's possible. It's possible to do that. So if you're in a situation and they're like, you are in no state to be induced, but you're really not feeling like you want to do a scheduled C-section, try it. Yes, totally. I mean, it was very uncomfortable. It was truly painful. I had had, I had been induced with my first son, so I knew what labor was like, but like, I was like, oof, like this is pretty rough, but hands down, I would do it again. After that initial, you know, insertion, which took a little bit because I was, you know, completely closed. And um, probably posterior a little bit too. So they had to like yeah. send the tube up and forward. Yeah, it was rough. And like, I was kind of worried that it wasn't going very well, but it just, it takes time because I was fully closed. But I mean, I, I had pretty good contractions just from that for like an hour. But oh the- yeah. Mm-hmm. 
very good. Like my body totally took over, which was good. I mean, but then it was such good progress. I mean, by morning, I slept all night. By morning, I was four centimeters. I mean, can you honestly ask for more than that? You know, that was the perfect start to an induction. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one of the things that the Foley can do is can get your body to two to four centimeters, sometimes even five centimeters. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to know that sometimes when it falls out, it can kind of, the cervix kind of goes, oop, (laughs) do you like my sound effect? (laughs) It relaxes, you know, just it's hard because we we can see each other, you guys. <laughs> so she can see my motion, but they can kind of relax and go backwards. But it right. doesn't really go backwards. It just relaxes. So sometimes too, to keep in mind, like if a fully comes out and say four centimeters, you might be closer to like three and a half, three, yep. but like it stretches to a four because it just stretched to a four. So if you get checked again and they're like, oh, you went backwards, you're three. No, don't let that get in your head. Yes. Right. And then they started with Lodo's pit and things. So yeah, I I just wanted to point that out. Like it's not something that's super common. And oftentimes providers say no, but yes. it is possible. Yes. So yeah. okay. Absolutely incredible. And I mean, really the biggest thing is just I think to educate yourself. And um, I mean, I went to the chiropractor, I did all the things. I was in so much pain at like 37 weeks pregnant, 36 weeks pregnant. I'm a firm advocate of the chiropractor anyway. I love it for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, helping my kids poop as weird as that is. Ear oh no, I know I've done that too. And it's amazing. It works. And, yes. And so I had been going very regularly anyway, cause I knew how much that can help, like get baby in place, help with pain, help with hips. And I was in so much pain and I'm like, Oh no, this is not good. I can't be in this much pain, you know, going into birth. And my chiropractor actually got COVID, of course, right around that time. So I was like, oh, I can't even see her. Who knows if I'll get to see her again before I have this baby. I was lucky enough to find a very nearby chiropractor like the day Mm -hmm. before I went in to be induced. And I swear that helped to ease all the pain. Oh, yeah. Just incredible. Absolutely. Lined up beautifully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes if you're having prodromal labor or labor is just carrying on, carrying on, carrying on, going and getting an adjustment can be a game changer. So. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today and sharing these beautiful stories. Thank you. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Tell us about your experience at the vbacklink.com slash share. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julian Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.